What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, Luke Susan Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now let's dive straight into the report that's come out in the last hour or so uh, from the Intelligence and Security Committee, which has finally published its report into Russian meddling in British politics. It says it sees the UK as one of its top targets in the West, that is Russia does, because of its close relationship to the US and because it's seen as central to the Western anti-Russian lobby. Well, joining us now is Joey Jones, Strategic Counsel at Cicero AMO and former advisor, of course, to Theresa May. Joey, thanks for being with us. Um, First glance, I suppose it's not quite as explosive as many had expected. I think that's the interesting thing about this report. Because it has been effectively sat on by government for many months, then that has allowed all sorts of theories and expectation uh, to build up around uh, the report. So I guess the extent to which it lives up to those expectations uh, depends on what story you had had in your mind as to what it might show. The two most explosive uh, theories, if you like, that, that people imagined might have explained Downing Street's reluctance to see it published before the general before the, the 2019 general election were a that it might have evidence that the Brexit referendum was influenced uh, directly influenced uh, and that the result was changed by Russian uh, interference and it doesn't say that and the other suggestion was that it might demonstrate that Russian money uh, through uh, oligarchs or through donations into the Conservative Party were in some way uh, sort of uh, changing uh, or exerting influence over over the party and obviously now uh, over the government. And again, it it doesn't say that. What it does say is that successive governments, and that would be Conservatives uh, and Labour, uh, have, uh, have welcomed uh, Russian involvement in the top levels of uh, politics, business and uh, social spheres in a way that uh, I think the committee feels n- merits further scrutiny. Uh, and it, particularly they point to the fact that some, uh, some peers uh, have close financial and business links with, uh, with Russia uh, and that there is not full transparency over that. So those are, the, if you like, the two most potentially explosive areas. And it doesn't really you know, sort of stack up as being a, being a huge uh, event on either of those two issues. But it is nevertheless very, very critical uh, of the way in which the government has addressed the uh, issue of Russian uh, interference and influence on the democratic process, and I think will have quite long-lasting implications in the way that the government has to address this issue. 
Yeah, I suppose one area where it falls short is Brexit. The report says that authorities took no action to protect that referendum. Stuart Hosey, one of the members of the panel, saying that the UK should hold a probe into any interference. Do you think that's the sort of thing that the government will be up for? I think the government's now in a bit of a bind on this uh, on this issue. And that one thing I would I would stress is that it is very clear now that this uh, committee, uh, which is chaired by um, uh, Julian Lewis, who has been stripped of the Conservative whip, so the membership of the Parliamentary Party, because he put himself forward rather than Downing Street's preferred candidate, former Transport Secretary Chris Grayling, is going to be a serious thorn in the side of the government. They made it absolutely clear that they... Uh, relish their independence. They are talking up the sting, as they put it on the report, saying that it is shocking that the government has not looked into the issue of interference uh, or the potential interference on the referendum. As Kevin Jones, uh, one of the members of the committee, said, it, it, the outrage is that no one would want to know if there was interference. So I think from the point of view of the government, the reason I say that they're in a bit of a bind is they want to show that they are being tough on uh, Russia and uh, improper behaviour by uh, the, the Putin uh, regime. That's why Dominic Raab last week published uh, his own evidence that uh, there was uh, Russian interference in the 2019 um, general election with the leak of documents that were seized upon by the then uh, Labour leader Jer Jeremy Corbyn. So they want to be seen to be being tough, but they don't want to go anywhere near uh, the referendum, uh, which is obviously what the committee is saying needs to be uh, scrutinised in more detail. And the place where they actually said there was at least an attempt specifically was in the Scottish independence referendum 2014. We know that Boris Johnson is concerned about Scotland, about the apparent growing power and influence of, of, of Nicola Sturgeon, the, the division it seems within the kingdom. I mean, this is simply going to add to that, I suppose, if there's a sense that this was, uh, well, somewhere where someone else was interfering anyway. Yeah, and, and basically, um, the, the committee uh, did not go so far as to say that the government is deliberately trying to ignore this issue, uh, but they did say that they have been ignoring the issue, uh, and it throws the ball firmly into the court of Downing Street and of the intelligence agencies to say, well, what's somebody going to do about this that at the moment everybody is looking at everybody else saying well it's not my not my problem not my issue and particularly in terms of the democratic process the committee says it's entirely understandable that intelligence agencies should be anxious about being perceived to be getting involved in the democratic process because obviously they wouldn't want to be seen to be influencing the democratic process but at the moment it means that nobody is if you like acting as steward or custodian uh, of the democratic process at a yeah. moment where the committee clearly feels that, that, that there is evidence, as you, as you say, you point to the Scottish referendum, uh, that the Russian uh, government would, would relish the opportunity to undermine that process. Yeah, possible room for improvement then. Joey, thanks so much there for your snap reaction. Joey Jones, Strategic Counsel at Cicero AMO and a former advisor to Theresa May as well. Well, let's pick this up with uh, Christine Jardine. She's the Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West and spokesperson for Home Affairs and Women and Inequalities as well. Um, Christine, what do you want to see the government do now in response to this report that we finally got? Uh, to be honest, I have to be blunt with you and say that I haven't actually seen the report yet and I haven't had time to digest it. So, um it is concerning from from what I've been told, but um, you know I, I don't want to um, jump in and start seeing what the government should do now without the um, the full um, report in front of me. 
I, I understand that, of course. What, what I can tell you is that there was a reference to what appeared to be an attempt to influence the campaign in relation to the Scottish independence referendum. Now, obviously, yeah, that is so something that. of concern where you are. Well, that's a huge concern. Um, the, 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 which I was listening to the earlier discussions, you were talking about the, you know, the government being concerned about the growing influence in, in Scotland. Um, and there was, um, you know, the former First Minister has a television programme in Russia today. And there is a kind of, um, there is a kind of concern, if you like, um, really now that we've seen this report, there is a kind of concern that I would like to know more about just exactly what it is that the government feels, or that the report feels, I beg your pardon, um, the dangers are in Scotland. Because um, we went through the referendum in 2014 and it was incredibly difficult, it was very tense, it was very divisive in Scotland. And what... Um, Personally, I wouldn't like to see is if there is another Scottish referendum, which the SNP are pushing for, I would not like to see that same sort of thing again. Um, and it, it is very worrying if we feel that we're seeing speculation about the Russians being involved in all sorts of democratic processes across the world. And if they are involved and have been involved in, in or trying to be involved, let's say, in Scottish politics, then that is not something that we want to see going forward to um, the the uh, next referendum if there is one, because clearly the UK is a target for Russia's disinformation campaigns, um, according to the report. Um, and we've got to be ready to ensure that, you know, we can protect ourselves against it. Um, and that is what we have to be thinking going forward, particularly if we're going to have, you know, We've got Scottish elections next year, and then if we're going to have potentially another Scottish referendum, that you know we have to be thinking about how we protect them from Russian influence. Um, what about China then? Is, is Britain right to be taking a more hawkish approach there? Yes, um, I think that what we have seen in China, what we've seen developing in China, um, has been appalling. I don't know if you saw the, the latest film on um, Andrew Marr and Sunday, but I was. I was appalled yeah. and horrified at what I saw. And I think um, from what the Foreign Secretary said, both there and in Parliament yesterday, he was as well. I was also taken aback at the response of the Chinese ambassador. Um, and I think um, we know what has been happening in Hong Kong and we see it in our television screens. And that's incredibly worrying. The new Security Act and the clamp down on civil liberties and human rights. It is worrying. And then we hear the reports, we see the reports, the, which the intelligence agencies have, have um, told us, and they can verify the pictures that they have. And the thoughts that we might be witnessing um, ethnic cleansing or some sort of genocide in China is terrifying. And I don't think there is ever a time when you can be too protective of human rights. Human rights are yeah. essential to stand up for. And Chris, if Christine, human rights what, are under threat in China or anywhere else in the world, we must be standing up for them. So standing up, Christine, very briefly, that involves sanctions on named individuals in China, potentially? Well, there has been, there has been discussion of that, and we want to see the government um, come forward with clear um, steps about what we're going to do. But it's clear that the government's attitude to China in terms of, of trade um, and you know, they, they say they want to be positive, but we have to take account of the fact that do we really want to um, yeah. uh, be, be trading with China and giving a Huawei 
for example, do we really want to be um, turning a blind eye to human rights? Yeah. No, I do not. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with pay increases, Roger. Yeah, almost 900,000 public sector workers are to get an above inflation pay rise, includes doctors and teachers, though not nurses, interestingly. But the money is, according to the Treasury, for the pay increases of up to 3.1%, is not going to come from any new money. It's going to come from existing departmental budgets. Labour says the rise won't actually make up for years of real-term cuts. And the British Medical Association says doctors had hoped for, quote, far better. Yeah, and Rishi Sunak warning that the government should exercise restraint in future public pay awards. So it's not no strings attached, as it were. We've also got to talk about misinformation there. MPs looking to limit the online spread of fake news about coronavirus. Plenty of that going around. The Committee for Digital Culture, Media and Sport is saying that the regulator or a regulator is needed to hold social media platforms to account. The chair of that, Julian Knight, says false claims about COVID-19 led people to drinking bleach avoiding hospital and attacking phone masts. Outside of the hospital environment, we've also seen some relating to 5G and the idea that the masts effectively will um, spread the virus. And over 30 uh, instances were reported of uh, masts or individuals who were being attacked. Julian Knight there. And there's lots of concern in the papers about virus infections in Blackburn. Blackburn, perhaps, according to the Times, might be the next Leicester lockdown coming within days. But government officials says they're keeping an eye on it. No drastic action is imminent. Mm, Certainly one to watch there. But let's get back to the China story. UK Sino tensions dominating the papers. China says this morning that the UK should wake up from what it calls its colonial dream on Hong Kong. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbing said the UK has made moves towards Hong Kong and that China reserves the right to take further action against the UK after Britain ended that extradition treaty with the city. And at the same time, MPs are today expected to use a visit by the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to put pressure on Boris Johnson for a harder line on Beijing. Now, the former Tory leader, Ian Duncan Smith, is among them. And of course, he spoke to us yesterday. He told Bloomberg Westminster it was time to look at direct measures against Chinese leaders. I think the next phase in all of this, and we certainly should look now at sanctioning, I think, members of Chinese officials, governments, etc., that are complicit, first of all, in the breach of human rights and, of course, guilty of the uh, new security laws in Hong Kong in breach of the treaty, uh, the Sino-British Treaty, which, is, uh, which implements the one country, two systems and the basic law. 
Well, for more on all this, we're joined by Andreas Fulda, who's Senior Fellow at the University of Nottingham, Asia Research Institute, also author of the book The Struggle for Democracy in Mainland China, Taiwan and Hong Kong, Sharp Power and Its Discontents. Andreas, welcome to the programme. Uh, let me first you ask, as, as a general question, what do you think Beijing will be making of all this, of Mike Pompeo being here, the building of anti-China sentiment in the UK? Well, you know, um, Pompeo is basically uh, enemy number one for the party state-controlled media. Um, but um, he's um, uh, so unpopular because he's actually quite harsh in his critique of the Chinese Communist Party. And to his credit, he's always uh, made a, a clear distinction between the good people uh, of China that we should have a good relationship with. And, um, you know, the political regime, the Chinese Communist Party... Um, which we should uh, engage in social distancing uh, with. And so in that sense, I think um, uh, much of this uh, kind of rhetoric against uh, Pompeo and increasingly also against uh, the UK government is um, uh, pure hyperbole. So that's the rhetoric. Are we expecting some sort of action from China at any point? Well, if um, uh, the party state retaliates, um, I think it would actually harm China more than the UK. Uh, so we've seen a really, really a hardening of the position, position against China, both among politicians, but also members of the public. And it's a really a perfect storm of um, various factors like the cover-up of COVID-19, the suppression of the democracy movement in uh, Hong Kong, uh, the threat of Huawei, um, and um, of course now the persecu- persecution of the Uyghurs and, and Kazakhs. And uh, I think... Um, under such circumstances, if uh, uh, Xi Jinping and uh, the Chinese Party was to double down and really uh, you know, go against uh, the UK, I think this wouldn't be very well received here in the UK. Well, it wouldn't be well received, but I mean, there might be one argument for saying we're dealing with what is, after all, the second largest economy in the world. Do they really have to worry too much about what Britain does? And in fact, even if they did take a retaliation, the actual pain would be probably far greater in Britain than it would be in China. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the popular narrative. But let's look at some stats here. Um, so, for example, um, British trade and commerce, China is actually really insignificant. Uh, it's uh, about 4% of the overall trade. Uh, you know, the vast majority of trade commerce is with uh, the European uh, region. And this is, of course, very uncomfortable, uh, you know, for many uh, in post-Brexit, uh, you know, UK to, um, to recognize that we're actually far more dependent on the European market than we are on China. Uh, so I think this has been exaggerated. There has been a lot of, like, corporate and government propaganda or more. Uh, hyping the Chinese market, especially during the golden era, I think of David Cameron and uh, George Osborne. I think um, the recent steps by the Johnson administration show that um, perhaps they've done, done the math and they've realized actually, no, China doesn't really matter that much in the big scheme of things. What about the other side of the coin? We've seen uh, Britain cutting ties with Huawei to a certain extent, a big push to ban TikTok like the US has, talking around its nuclear investment as well. How much would all of that hurt China, if not economically, in other ways as well? Well, you see, if we talk about Huawei or TikTok, our listeners really need to uh, know that the Chinese Communist Party wants to shape, manage and control its global operating environment so that public sentiment is favourable to its own interests. And this is why they're so keen, you know, to um, control IT systems around the world. And uh, in a way, the British government, uh, to 
uh, exclude uh, Huawei is very important. And it, it, it was the right decision because they claim to be a private company which operates independently from the Thai state. But that's, of course, um, uh, a rather fanciful idea when you look at the kind of state aid that Huawei has received, o- over $75 billion in tax breaks, financing and cheap resources. So, I mean, if the British uh, government was to give that amount of money to British Telecom, for example, yeah, they would also become the world's top telecom vendor. Uh, but because of, uh, you know, um, uh, antitrust laws and, uh, you, know, you know, we... we we don't do that uh, in the West, and for good reason. Andreas, let me ask you about the, the world as it's seen now from Beijing, because we're in an interesting moment where China seems to be falling out with everyone. Um, they're, they're fighting on the border with India, of course. In the South China Sea, uh, a sense of perhaps uh, clashing over of uh, various areas, islands, all kinds of things. A lot of the neighbours of China are very afraid and, and opposed. And, of course, they've fallen out with a large chunk of the West, too. Do they want to have enemies on all sides? You see, in the past, I think um, Xi Jinping has been given uh, too much credit. Um, what a lot of uh, analysts have overlooked is that actually he um, rose through the ranks because of personal connections. Uh, he um, basically belongs to uh, the red uh, aristocracy. Uh, he's actually not very well educated. He only got a very um, minimal education during the Cultural Revolution. And so the problem now is because he's kind of like the general secretary for everything and he has centralized so much power, um, there are now very few people in the system, in the party state, who can challenge his thinking and kind of uh, alert him to, you know, how self-defeating many of these policies are. And um, he, he is, a, you know, a militarist, he's a nationalist, he has this dream of kind of expanding the borders, um, you know, to annex uh, Taiwan militarily if, uh, if needs be. And, you know, this should all, you know, worry us that, you know, in the 21st century, uh, you know, China is being led essentially by a Stalinist who presides over a Leninist party state using Maoist tactics. Um, and I think actually the world is kind of waking up to this, uh, uh, you know, systemic uh, challenge to our open, you know, and, uh, you know, liberal uh, democracies. And, uh, yeah, in that sense, you know, Pompeo coming to the UK and speaking to the British counterparts and kind of forging perhaps, um, you know, a wider coalition of liberal democracies um, to counter this uh, threat, I think is a good thing. What about foreign intervention that's perhaps more covert? We talked earlier in the programme about Russia. What do we know about what China's activities are? Well, you see, there, uh, we have to distinguish, of course, between legitimate uh, influence uh, operations um, along the lines of, let's say, um, I don't know, soft power projections through the British Council. The UK does that as well. And illegal interference. But one of the problems is really that we've uh, seen a lot of elite capture here in the UK. Uh, and there are many examples of members of the British establishment who actually have commercial interests uh, related to mainland China. Um, and this is going to be very difficult to untangle. We can see that from the Russia report. Um, and, uh, you know, look, for example, David Cameron, a former prime minister, he took on the leadership role for a 1 billion UK investment fund aimed at Xi Jinping's flagship policy, the Belt and Road Initiative. Or like uh, George Osborne, he was advised by four lords uh, who had commercial interests related to China, Lord Sassoon, Lord Mendelssohn, Lord Powell and Lord O'Neill. And these are peers who move between British politics and the corporate world, including like the, the global economy. And so one 
key takeaway from the Russia report is really that uh, we need a code of conduct for members of the House of Lords and the Register of Lords' interests, so, including financial interests, um, so that we get more transparency. Right. And I, I would add to that perhaps the UK needs the Foreign Agent Registration Act to also oh, kind of yeah. ensure that um, you know we deal with this issue. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.